My name is Marta Stanley. This is Jen, and we're going to kind of piggyback off of each other. And um, as you might have guessed, we've done this before, so it'll be good. Um, but first, I want to pray. I want to welcome you all here. Jen and I are going to be teaching about truth this morning, and we're both going to come at it from a little bit different spot. So it'll be good by the time it's all over, I promise. We'll have some takeaways from this morning. But let's pray and invite the Spirit before we get started. Heavenly Father, let me take a deep breath. As I sang that first song, you reminded me, honey, you're not up there alone. I'm coming with you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So we just invite your spirit right now. And I ask you, God, to anoint Jen and I as we teach and give us your spirit that we teach what you want us to teach and leave everything alone. And I ask that you would anoint every single person here with the power of your spirit and that the words that we speak would become spirit and light into the heart of every person hearing us. That they know, that they know, that they know, that they know that you are for them. Amen and amen. So thank you. So um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to teach this morning, I was going back over in my journals that I keep. And in January of every year, I asked the Lord for a verse for the year. And so and so it's kind of a neat thing for me to look forward to and to pray into every year. And so his verse this year was John eleven forty, which is Jesus talking to Mark, Mary and Martha in the story of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus has died and and Mary and Martha are distraught over it, obviously, because Jesus didn't show up on time. And he says, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And she's thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to see the glory of God eventually, and we're all going to be resurrected and go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. So I realized as I started to go through my year, I wasn't seeing the glory of God because we've had a year, have we not? 2020 has been... a a year of a dream that we hope to wake up from, right? Yeah. It's been difficult. It's been full of anxiety and fear and worry. And we've been dealing with things we've never dealt with before, a lot of us. And so it's been a tough year. So I kind of wanted to call that elephant in the room out today and say, what do we do with this? Let's talk about that. And let's talk about what God's word has to say about that. So you can imagine... Um, my surprise as I'm going through 2020 thinking, gee, God, where's your glory? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of that, but I'm not seeing the glory. And I, after I prayed into that for about nine months, I'm a slow learner, I realized God wasn't just inviting me into that verse. He was inviting me into that story, the whole story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because it's faster. So if you remember that story, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were really tight friends. They were at the inner circle with Jesus, and he often came to their home, stayed there, ate there, and so forth. So when their brother Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha knew, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and they sent for Jesus to come because they knew that Jesus would heal him. Well, Jesus didn't come, and he didn't come, and he didn't come, and he didn't come. And four days later, Jesus came, but that's four days of Lazarus being in the tomb. I mean, he's wrapped up in burial cloths and the whole bit. So when word got to Mary and Martha that that Jesus was on his way and he was almost there, they went out to meet him. 
And the first thing they said to him was, where were you? Where were you? My brother would not have died if you had been here. And they both said that to him on two separate occasions. And Jesus was so saddened by the fact that they still didn't believe because the Messiah was showing up. And so I feel like God wants us to enter into that story. Because I think a lot of us have been saying, where were you, God? Where? And not even where were you, where are you? Because look what's happening in our nation. and Look what's happening in the world. Things are hard and rough and difficult. Amen? Would you agree? Right. So I think God was inviting me into that whole story, not just that one verse. And, and I know um, that many of us are feeling all these things because things have not happened the way they, the way that we thought they would, and the same thing happened to Mary and Martha. Things did not happen in the way they wanted it as well. And so what do we do? So I recapped that, but Jesus didn't show up when they anticipated him showing up, but he did show up, and I think that's where we want to go today. So as I meditate on that, I want to go into this today. We are in the tombs. We're in the tomb area. We're in those four days. I feel like that's where we are. We're in waiting for Jesus to finally show up. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because Jesus did show up. So I know God wants us to trust him, and he wants us to believe his word, and he wants to walk in that, and he wants to be able to take all of our solutions, our situations, and our circumstances, and walk in that. And so today I want to find out, I want to take you to Ephesians 6, um, and we're going to talk about ways that God wants us to do that. So he wants us to trust him, but he has a way for us to do that. So I think, Elena, are you going to put up Ephesians 6? Great. I'm going to start. Now I have my wordy Bible with me, which means it's the amplified version. So I'm going to start in Ephesians 6. Six, and I'm going to read 10 through 14. So let me give you the context of Ephesians really quick as I start this. Ephesians is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus about how to live a righteous, godly life in a really, really dark place. Because Ephesus was a place of idolatry, sexual immorality, and all kinds of ugly things. It was not a wonderful, nice little life place to live. And so Paul is coming and starting a church in Ephesus, and he's talking about that. And so he gets through the whole chapters of 6. He tells them all these great things to be watchful for and to do. And then in verse 10, this is what he starts with. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless effort supplies. Put on the whole armor of God of a heavily armed soldier that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and all the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling, listen to me well, we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against the powers and the master spirits of this world in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly spheres. Therefore, Put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And then, having done all the crisis demands, to stand firmly in your place. And as and verse 14 says, Stand therefore, holding your ground, having tightened the belt of truth about your waist. 
And that's where we're going to land most of us this morning, is that belt of truth, that whole truth thing. So, this armor is spiritual, is from the Lord, and this armor is what can be spiritually seen by God and the the enemy and the angels, is spiritual armor. It is not fleshly things. So what are the strategies and deceits of the enemy? Lies, confusion, all the things that we're dealing with right now. Lies, confusion, doubt, unbelief, and anything that goes along with that. And the enemy does that so that we will not trust the Lord and we will not lean on his truth. So the first place for the first piece of the armor, and we're not even going to get to the other pieces today. That first piece of armor is that belt of truth because it's the foundation for all the other pieces of armor to fit in. Because if we don't stand in the truth, none of the armor matters. So we got to figure out what truth is. And truth is not going to be found on your TV screen from MSNBC or CBS or any of those places. That's not where you're going to find the truth. The truth is in this word and this word alone, and that's what we're going to stand on and talk about today. So that's our first thing. So that's the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth of who God is, the truth of who you are in Christ, and who God made you to be. That's the truth that we're standing on. So the Bible says to put on truth. So how do we put on truth? It doesn't say to intellectually believe the truth. It says to put on truth. How do we do that? Well, there's a couple ways we do that. And that is an active word. So in case you thought Christianity was a passive thing, it's not. It is. We are doing something all the time. So we put on truth. We hold up and we commit to God's word as the plumb line. God's word and his truth that he says about himself is the filter through which everything else must pass. That's a good thing to know because truth changes in our culture, does it not? I mean, it changes from year to year, week to week. But God's truth never changes. And so that's our filter that we go with. We stand on the word of God and, and it's, it, everything we think and do has to line up with that. Every conviction, every opinion, every situation, every circumstances has to pass the filter test of the word. And if we can start there, we have a great starting place. And why do we need to do this? Well, let's go to John 10.10. I'll just paraphrase that too. John 10.10 says, this is Jesus talking, the thief, the enemy, has to come to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and life abundant. So that's what we need. So we have to believe the truth of this. So Jesus tells us why we need the truth. Because until we understand that we have an enemy, we will misinterpret 90% of what happens to us. Let me say that again. Until we understand that we have an enemy who has a plan, we will misinterpret 90% of what happens to us. So we need to know that. And it will hard for, it will be hard for us to believe that God has good intentions for us and that he is for us if we don't realize that. Um, I wanted to read you a little spot here. So then we go into, um, this is one of my favorite verses. My Bible study ladies know this. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. They also know about this book. This is the Bible promise book that you're going to need for your weapons. But let me just read what Joyce Meyer says about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because we've got to take every thought, everything we go to the obedience of Christ and his word. 
And I hope she says it better than I am, so I'm going to read it to you. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5 teaches us that our weapons are not flesh, but they are mighty through God to be pulling down strongholds in our minds, casting down imaginations, thoughts, reasonings, theories that don't agree with God's word requires us to use our offensive weapon, the word of God, coming out of our mouths. And so when we speak, it becomes a two-edged sword that defeats the enemy with one edge and opens the blessing of God and of heaven with the other. There are many other weapons that are on the defensive, but the word is offensive and it changes the enemy and driving him back. So we don't look at confessing God's word out loud as a formula for getting what we want. We do it in faith, knowing that it pleases God when we agree with his word and we enter God's, and we enter God's rest concerning the timing of his results. But God is faithful as we continue to do our part. And he is faithful because he always does his part. So we have a part to play. We put on truth. We commit to the word of truth. We commit to what God says is true about himself. And everything else follows under that. And if it doesn't line up, it has to go. That's what we always teach, right? Um, so we've talked about that. So your thoughts come from three places. God, your own mind, and the enemy. And you've got to be able to discern which one those are. And the word of truth helps us to do that. You've got to discern which one of those things are working at any, at any given time. Um, and the sixth weapon that we talk about is the sword of the spirit. And so we're talking right now about how to wield this word of truth. Because that's what we, we need to do. So we've always got to be checking to see what the fruit is. Check your fruit of what your thoughts are. You do not need to invite every thought that comes into your brain into in for dinner or for tea. You can just say, okay, what's the fruit here? Is it, is it causing stealing, killing, and destroying? Or is it bringing life and life abundant? And that's how you know what to deal with. So I just want to tell you, this happened to me on Monday morning. So on Monday morning, um, I got up this week, and on Mondays, I babysit my grandkids. I got up with a dark cloud of fear, confusion, just felt kind of crappy about life in general. I don't know what I went to bed doing Sunday night. I don't remember. But I thought, geez, I got to get up and be happy grandma today. I got to get it. I got to get this, this out of my system. And I heard this voice say, well, you know what to do. I'm like, yep, I do. So I called it off and I said, spirit of fear, get out in Jesus' name. And I know my fear verse I always go to is 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sound mind. And so that's what I did. I called the enemy off and said, get out in Jesus' name. And I declared that scripture out loud over myself. And in 10 minutes, I was a new woman, ready for my grandkids to come. And that is that simple. So all that, I said all that to say that's how you do it. You stand on the word of truth and you speak it out loud over your kids, your family, and your situation every single time. And this really works. And the idea is to start doing it. It feels weird to start, doesn't it? To start saying the word out loud. But I walk around all the time talking about the word out loud in my home because it changes the atmosphere. When you talk about the word out loud, it changes the atmosphere in your heart and in the hearts of those around you and in your homes. 
We've got to start speaking the word. It is a sword. And we stand on the word of truth in that way. So I just wanted to share that, that with you because I know that people like um, really practical applications on how to apply the word. Um, the Bible promise, if you don't have a Bible promise book, you need to get one immediately. It doesn't have to be this one. But Bible promise books have categories in them, and they say, okay, this is the, these are the, spirit, the scriptures you need to talk about fear, anxiety. And there's like, I don't know, 50 categories, and there's like 20 verses in each one. So you need to get one of those. I mean, you can always Google it too, but this is so simple. So whatever you're feeling or coming up against, you can use the word to counteract it every time. And I encourage you to do that. Now, this requires you to do to really be intentional, to intentionally get into the word and intentionally speak the word over you. And hopefully, you don't let yourself go into a funk for a week. You'll realize that halfway through the day, oh, I'm feeling this and here's what I need to do about it. So, and it's a process. You learn to do this little by little. So be proactive, be intentional. Um, God has his part, but we have our part to play too. Um, and, and the end of verse 18 in chapter 6, Paul says, be alert, be intentional, and pay attention to what's going on. So there's not passivity in this. This is really you taking it upon yourself to stand in the Word and do what you need to do over every situation. And then the Word says, now having done all, just stand. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I've shared this testimony with a lot of you before, but I think it's worth sharing again that when I was first learning um, this technique for how to like take inventory of my thoughts, and I, I really thought I had to think what came in my head. It was a new revelation to me that, oh, wow, not every thought is good. Not every thought is bringing good fruit in me, the fruits of the spirit, like love and joy and peace and kindness. And if those aren't good thoughts, then... I was taught, let's let's practice kicking those out, just like Marta just explained. So I was wrestling with fear and anxiety, um, and um, my favorite verse came to mind. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So that anything is what like was screaming at me. Jenny, anything means anything. Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, at that point, my husband was a realtor and the market was crashing and I didn't know when we were going to get paid again. So I really thought I had a right. Like, I have to think about this and worry and a little bit stressed about this, God, because I've got to figure this out. And he, again, just so impacted on me. No, anything means anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, that is way easier said than done. I mean, How do you not be anxious about anything? So I took that verse. I wrote it down. And so whatever you're wrestling with, whether it's fear, anxiety, just like Marta said, either have a little book that you look up your your wrestling word, fear, anxiety, um, lack, um, confusion, doubt, whatever it is. You can Google it if you don't have a book. There will be a lot of verses that pop up. And you got to find your verse that, like, resonates with you. That you feel that, I mean, this word is alive. The Holy Spirit is in it. And so there's certain times when I read a verse and you just know like it grabs you. That's your, that's your verse. So I wrote down that verse and I just started saying it. So I think the key is writing it down. 
I would encourage you, even in, even in messages, even in take notes, even if it's one thing that you write down, find the one thing that God is always impressing on your heart. If it's in a service, if it's even in your quiet time, find the one thing. God has a word for us every day. He wants to tell you something. So if it's in a scripture, if it's in a song that you're listening to in the morning, find that thing and write it down and meditate on it throughout the day. God is often trying to get something through our heads, and sometimes we get too distracted and we're too busy to really stop and think about what we're thinking about. So I wrote down that verse. I had it in my car. I had it in my room. I had it in my Bible. I had it everywhere. And I started saying that verse. Anytime I would get anxious, I would say the verse, okay, God, I'm going to choose not to be anxious about anything. I'm going to hand this all this fear to you. And I'm going to just take deep breaths. I'm going to say my verse. So I would do that, and it felt good until like a half an hour later. And then the next worry comes in. And then I would feel good for a little bit. And then maybe it was an hour later. And I just like Marva talked about that whoosh that sometimes just comes over us. And we wake up, and we don't even know what in the world just hit us. We feel heavy. Like, why do I just feel like this today? I feel down. I don't go with that anymore. I mean, some, I'm not saying that sometimes we have to feel stuff. I'm not saying stuff your feelings. One of the other ways I do that through writing down with Martin, I do a lot of, is journaling. When you wake up and you're heavy or you're really wrestling with something, write it out to the Lord. Hand it to him. Sketch your feelings out. So I'm never saying don't like stuff your feelings, but don't stay stuck in them. Don't let your feelings rule your day. So when I would say that verse then, the more I said it, the less I would get anxious. But I'm going to tell you, those first couple of days, I didn't feel a whole lot of change. So everyone that Martin and I ever teach this to, sometimes they'll come back to us like, it's not working. You told me this. It's not working. It didn't do anything. That is the enemy. He doesn't want you to think it's working. He's going to make you, I promise you if you try this, he will make you feel that it's not working. I promise you if you persevere, it will work. It is the word and it is powerful. So whether you need God's peace or whether you need his strength if you're weary or whether you need his comfort, his word has all those tools for you. A lot of times our circumstance leads where our mind goes. So if it is a bad day or we go into fear, but that so can distract us on really what God wants to tell you. So my best strategy is take a few minutes. Take some deep breaths. Try to picture Jesus. Try to put on a worship song. Try to find that scripture that you can write down, that you can meditate on. But you need to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And and literally after a week or so of doing that verse, my anxiety completely left. I was a new person. Doesn't mean I don't battle with it sometimes, but we do the tools just like Marta did this week. We do what we teach. We have you have to practice it. Do you have to be super intentional? Sometimes I used to just pray, and these kind of prayers are okay, but sometimes we pray prayers out of desperation. God, I fix this for me. God, I need your peace. But we don't do anything to change our thoughts. We don't do anything to change what we're thinking about, what we're looking at, what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're scrolling through. If those things are stealing your peace, then we need to shift what we're watching. Everyone who knows me knows that I often say, I try super hard to not let anything steal my peace throughout the day. I try to keep the peace. And so if something's coming at me and trying to steal it, sometimes we have to take our authority, like Martin said, tell it to go. Fear, get out. 
heavy cloud, get out. In Jesus' name, you can't stay. But then often you have to find something to replace and fill the atmosphere with. Put on a worship song, blast it out. That that cuts through a heavy atmosphere very quickly. There is power in worship. I mean, that worship this morning was amazing. We can, when we worship, we can feel God's presence. There is power in just that even alone, writing out scripture, but just worshiping. I think sometimes we're not used to doing that in our house by ourselves, putting on some music and singing. That is when my life completely shifted, when I started getting alone in my bedroom, closing the door, most often trying to do that when no one was home, but even not caring if they were home, I'm going to sing and I'm going to worship. And it just did something in me. I, that is when the first time I really encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. I kind of, my body got hot. I started shaking and just feeling God's presence just whoosh into that room. There is such power in meeting with God on a daily basis to just encounter his presence. Not to just check your box and read the word. Find what he's saying to you in the word. You'll encounter him in a whole different way. Don't just read to read. Read to eat. Pray before you read. God, what do you want to show me today? What's the one thing you want to speak to me about? So my whole point that I wanted to talk about that was really just the intro, I guess. For me, but I want to talk about rest and how you really enter God's rest. And that is really what I just shared an example of how I enter rest. I think we're not great at rest. We're not great at resting our minds. We're not great at resting and being quiet. I mean, I'm resting like when I'm in the summer and I'm on my boat, I'm resting. But there's a difference in like resting and trusting who God is and trusting that even if my circumstances aren't changing, knowing that God is still good. We have that enemy that is always around. The other verse is 1 Peter 5, 8, um, that tells us to be alert. We have an enemy who roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. The enemy is always trying to get in, into your thoughts, into our life, and steal and kill and destroy our peace. The two biggest areas that the enemy wrestles with us about is trying to get us to doubt that God is who he says he is, and trying to get us to doubt that we're loved. There's a lot of people that uh, Marta and I work with that don't feel loved. That's a common issue, that we don't feel valued, we don't feel accepted, we don't feel loved. It's a huge area that Satan is attacking us in. And so I love to work on doing the opposite, of finding what the scripture says about who God is and who I am. I am love. I love Ephesians chapter one talks about that a lot, that we're loved and we're valued and we're chosen and we're accepted. Go through and just circle all those things in Ephesians. That's a powerful place to start on knowing what God says about you. But the other part is who God is. Often our circumstances, the enemy uses to try to make us feel God didn't show up. God didn't come through again. Where is he? He will say he's good. The word says he's good. But he didn't fix my problem. He didn't come through. In my own life, when I lost my sister um, to cancer, I was a senior in high school. I wrestled with that huge. We prayed for healing. We had thousands of people praying. We believed that she was going to be healed. She wasn't healed. Those are those crises of faith to stop and say, okay, people say God's a good God, but then why do kids die? But God really showed me. It was, it was a, a good year or so that I, w- I was probably really angry with God. But he showed me, Jen, it wasn't me that took Julie's life. It's the enemy. 
It's Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And as long as we're on this earth, God says, in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, he's overcome the world. So I still pray for healing. I still believe and activate faith that I would love for Andrew to be healed in Jesus' name. But I know that God is in control and he is a good, good father. It is who he it, it is who he is, even when our circumstances are trying to tell us that he's not. And so those are the times in the moment that I think we have to press into him the most when our circumstances don't line up and we get unbelief and we don't tend to believe who God is. And that's okay. Take take your unbelief to God. We talked about that last last week with Dave. You know, we're going through the book of Hebrews. Last week was Hebrews 3, which was a lot about unbelief. Um you know, when the disciples um, were trying to pray healing for this boy, I forgot where that is, and, and Matthew, and they couldn't heal him, and they brought him to Jesus, and they said, um, I'm getting that story mixed up. Basically, the point of the story was, um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief in times that we're praying for things, that we're not seeing it happen the way that we want it to happen. So I will pray that, God, I do believe, but help the areas in me that I'm not believing. Help me to see who you really are in your word. And sometimes when those, I just like to be practical. When those things happen to me and I'm still just struggling and I don't know what he's really saying, keep stopping and slowing down and just pausing and asking him. I think too much we ask him or we throw the fleece out. If we don't hear right away, we're like, yeah, he's not answering. Keep pressing in. Keep coming to him. Keep journaling. Just having yourself have a few minutes before the Lord and just quiet. I don't think we're great at quiet. Maybe that's just me. I'm not great at quiet. Was my word last year was to be still. I don't really, I'm a doer. I like to, even when I spend time with God, do, 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 do. God just sometimes wants us to just quiet ourselves so he can speak to us. So ask him if you're wrestling with unbelief. God, what do you want to say to me? What do I need to know in this? So I am going to read... Um, Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 3 is where we left off last week. It says, um, Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And then starting in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. I don't want to fall short of God's rest. I want to be able to enter into the rest that he's talking about. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed can enter that rest. So this is referring to the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It was more than 40 years. Was it 40 years? It was only 40 years. It was a long time. They weren't getting where they wanted to go. God was providing for them in powerful, miraculous ways. And they would get excited that God was doing it. And then when things got hard, we all know that story. They would worry. They would complain. They would mope. They would get angry with God, which I think we're quick to judge the Israelites. How did you not remember he just provided food for you. Your clothes have never worn out. He provided water out of a rock. I'm quick to judge them, but I do the same thing. God, when he's been faithful in the past to provide for me or come through for me, if it's not happening at that right moment, I'm like, okay, forget it. I'm just going to murmur and complain just like they did. But God was kind of keeping them from entering that promised land because of their fear, because of their unbelief. 
And so I want to make sure that I'm able to enter into all the promises that God has for me with faith, with obedience, with belief that God is who he says he is. And, and really, a lot of it is about obedience. I think that's the other thing that God just really convicted me of. It. Am I being obedient to the things that he's asked me to do this year so far? What's he asking of us? I know I think we probably all thought about resolutions at the beginning of the year, hopefully connected some of those spiritually. What did God say he wanted was a good goal? So this is a good time at the end of January to just stop and reflect. How am I doing with that? How am I doing that? What are you What are you saying to me? Am I doing, am I living and being obedient to the things that you've laid on my heart to do? It's just good to check that every so often. God, am I obeying and doing the things that you've asked me to do? Because that's always going to take us. God isn't a judgmental God that you have to do all this because he's this harsh God. He does it because it's for our good, because it's for our peace, because it's to enter into that promised land that he had for the Israelites. But if we can choose to go, say this in my family a lot, we can choose to go around the same mountain again and again and again like the Israelites did. We have the same problem year after year after year after year. If we're not getting breakthrough, if we're not seeing change, usually we have to stop and examine our hearts of what's happening in our own hearts that's maybe keeping us going around these same things that we have been struggling with, same addictions, same worry. It's been a long time. We've got to look at the root of what's causing that. So I think the theme for me today is really just rest. I think God wanted us to come and encounter his rest. And encountering his rest is entering into his promises that he is good, that he is love, that he does take what the enemy means for evil and he does turn it for good. And he wants us to just have this greater Trust that he does love you, that he is working things out. It might not happen the way that we want it to, but there's a different rest and peace that comes in me when I'm not always trying to fight that or figure it out or change it. Or, I mean, how often in my own head do I try to go into logic? Like, I gotta figure this out. I gotta know why. Sometimes God, we're not gonna know why. We just trust him that he is God and he does things because his ways are higher than our ways. He, I wrote that verse down somewhere. Um, didn't I write that down somewhere? Is that Psalm? Oh, yeah, I did write down. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of ways figured out for how I would like God to do things. I would, I'm pretty good at making good plans. And I, I would like sometimes even pray, like, God, why wouldn't you want to heal Andrew? Like, what an awesome display would that be for people to see? God, people come to know you and love you through that. But God's ways are his ways, and he holds it all together, and it's not really... He tells us to pray and believe and activate our faith, but we still in that deep longing just trust that he does know the way this is all going to turn out. And that takes me to a deeper place of rest when I just go into that place of deeper trust, of knowing how to quiet my mind, like Martin talked about. How, how can we just enter that rest by quieting us down, quieting our thoughts, taking deep breaths, and just trusting God is who he says he is. Um, other than, I would encourage you to get a notebook and get your Bible out and get some life verses that are for you. Um, I have one that I love because I just, I probably have like 25 verses 
And I just, every so often, I just said, oh, look at that. And I look at that, and they're just verses that I can just grab off at the top of my head now because I've, I'm so familiar with them because I've read them over and over and over again. Um, and they're verses that can really just pick you up from the bottom of the pit and lift you back up. And they're just verses that... Um, that resonated with you, that you know God is speaking over your life. And you need to have that word continually just bathing in the word. Because we have so much coming at us all the time. We really do. And you just can't come on a Sunday morning and get filled up with God's word and expect that to carry you for the next seven days with what you deal with. Heck, by 10 o'clock, most of us have read 20 news feeds, and most of them haven't been good. Right? So we've got to be bathing ourselves in that word. In that word, um, and if you get the word from here to here, you enter God's rest. And that's what it's all about. You enter God's rest. Yeah, because you're you're engaging your heart with God's word. And that's where we want to end up. Because we always want to know that the bottom line is no matter what happens, that God is good, and he's good all the time, and that never changes. And his heart is for you. All the time. And I'm going to end with one more verse. Um, Hebrews 4, 11. So the whole chapter of Hebrews, dig into that. We are going through Hebrews each week. Um, so next week will be chapter 5. It's a great thing for you to read this week. Just meditate on that. Ask God for the nugget, the truth that he wants for you to have. Um, but Hebrews 4, 11 says, Let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That's referring back to the Israelites. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That sums up exactly what we've been talking about. There's that push-pull all the time that's pushing through that marrow. The word of God pushes through and sorts out truth versus what our flesh thinks versus what our thoughts are. So that's why the word of God is so powerful. And it says to be diligent. Be diligent. I don't think we're great at being diligent. Maybe it's just me. I'm not great at really pressing in hard and being diligent to get that truth, to get it sinking in. If it, often I give up quickly. Oh, I'm, I'm just too tired. Be, let us be diligent to enter the rest. So find a way that's rest for you. We each have our way. Um, of, of how God ministers to us and refreshes us, whether that's putting on a worship song, whether it's reading scripture. Sometimes if I'm just in a funk and I don't even feel I have the energy to read, I love the Bible app because it will read it out loud to you. You don't even have to read it. But just let it just marinate in, around in your atmosphere to have the word of God read to you is powerful. Find your way to enter rest. I love deep breathing. I used to think that's super cheesy. I have found that it totally, if I'm super anxious about something and I don't know what to do, I will put on a worship song and I will do nothing but just take deep breaths. I won't even try to sing it. I will just breathe in God's presence. And it just shifts the atmosphere. Even wherever I'm at, if I'm at work and it's stressful, take two seconds, two minutes and do that. Take some deep breaths. Enter God's rest. It's available every day, all day for us. 